strained relationships. Who of us haven't been in a strained relationship before? Even the best of friendships can fall on hard times. Something hurtful is said or something hurtful is done. And now the relationship is in a, in a tough place because of that. And perhaps deep down, maybe you know that you ought to apologize for something. Or perhaps the other person has, son or, has done or said something hurtful and you're awaiting their apology. You know things won't quite be right until someone apologizes. Maybe uh, because of this, the, the relationship is kind of in an awkward place. You haven't talked to that friend in a while or that family member in a while. The prospect of, of healing a relationship that's broken or strained is daunting. It's hard. It may mean apologizing. It may mean forgiving. And all that's easier said than done. Some relationships may be so broken that they'll never be the same again. And so you may think, you know, what's the use of apologizing at this point? What's the use of forgiving at this point? It's not going to change the relationship. Maybe there's a strained relationship that's been strained for a long time. Maybe, maybe you intend to work towards reconciliation at some point, but you keep putting it off. You just don't quite feel ready yet. You don't want to put a, a timeline or a deadline on healing. Once you've become a bit stronger, once you've recovered from the stress, once you're in a, a better place emotionally, well, then you'll start to, to work through that process of reconciliation, you, you tell yourself. But is it okay, is it okay to delay reconciliation? What would Jesus say about this? Well, our text this morning has, has everything to do with strained relationships. And, and we hear in this text what Jesus would advise us to do. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We'll be starting in verse 23 this morning. Matthew 5, starting in verse 23. Please follow along as I read. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Those are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in the verses just before this, 
As we thought about last Sunday, Jesus had been talking about anger and words of insults and contempt. That was verses 21 and 22. And and Jesus has just said that it's not just a, a big sin like murder that makes one liable to judgment, but even anger. Even, even just saying to someone, you fool, puts one in danger of the fire of hell. And Jesus was saying, in short, that God won't just judge sinful actions, such as murder. He will even judge sinful attitudes and words. God wants purity and holiness and love in the inner being. Not just a a facade of kindness and smiles concealing an angry and resentful heart. That was last week. Now in these verses, Jesus gives some implications based on that truth. So verse 23 begins with, so, or therefore. So what he's about to say is tied to what he's just said, like a kite to a string. It's growing out of the the foundation of truth that he's just laid. And in verses 23 through 26, Jesus gives us two examples, two scenarios. Here's what you should do in specific situations, in light of the fact that nothing will escape God's judgments, that God cares about even the attitudes of our hearts and the words that we speak. Now, both of these scenarios have to do with interpersonal conflicts, with strained relationships. And these are all too common in our fallen world. But in these fights, in these quarrels between people, there's, there's almost always sinful anger involved. There's almost always pride involved that complicates the reconciliation process. Or maybe it brought about the conflict in the first place. As James says in the book of James, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And he goes on to talk about sinful desires that we have as fallen human beings. Covetousness, discontentment, selfishness. We want it our way. And that other people do too. They want it their way. And these sinful passions that we have, this selfishness, these are the sparks that light the fires of conflict. Because what I want doesn't always line up with what you want. And there's a fight. There's often pride involved. As the book of Proverbs says, only by pride comes contention. Now as Jesus moves on from the fact that God will judge even the the attitude of sinful anger and the word spoken in anger... He's moving now to the relationship strained by anger. What do we do when we find ourselves in such a a relationship? And notice, in these two scenarios, reconciliation is a given. Jesus isn't teaching here on whether or not to reconcile. This isn't to reconcile or not to reconcile. No, in verse 24... Look, Jesus says, Jesus says, first be reconciled. Here it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
In verse 25, it begins, Jesus says, come to terms or agree in some translations. And then there's the word quickly. Come to terms quickly. So can reconciliation wait? Is it something that we can get around to as we have the emotional strength to do so? Is it something that we can delay and and put off until we feel the time is right? Jesus says, first. Jesus says, quickly. And as we'll see, Jesus' main lesson in these two scenarios is that reconciliation must not wait. It must not wait. Reconciliation is urgent. And in these two examples, Jesus gives us at least two reasons why reconciliation cannot and must not wait. There's a spiritual reason, and there's a temporal reason. The spiritual reason has to do with avoiding trouble with God. The temporal reason has to do with avoiding trouble in this world. And these will be our two main points. So first, let's consider the spiritual reason why reconciliation must not wait. Look with me again at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, here's the first scenario. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now the setting in this scenario is someone worshiping God. They're they're offering their gift at the altar. And at the time Jesus was speaking, the Old Testament way of approaching God and worship, that that was still in place. It hadn't yet been done away with. It hadn't yet been fulfilled. Jesus hadn't yet died as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And so if you wanted to worship God, if you wanted to Uh, have your sins atoned for? The scripture said, bring your your sacrifice to the priests of the temple. It would be like a a bull or a lamb, a spotless sacrifice, and they they would kill this animal, and God would accept your sacrifice, and your sins would be would be forgiven. And again, this is all looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ, who would be the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. But here, here this person is, they're, they brought their gift to the altar, and they're about, the priest is about to sacrifice this, say it's a bull. And then something comes into the person's mind. They remember, back in their hometown, somebody has something against them. Maybe they've done or said something, and somebody back at home is, is mad at them. And they haven't apologized yet. They haven't made things right. And so Jesus would command the person to stop in the middle of of worship, leaving the altar, leaving the sacrifice, leaving the temple, and travel back home and make things right. Don't even finish the act of worship. Get up and leave right in the middle of the sacrifice. I mean, what a scene that would make, right? How awkward that would be. Go back even if it's very inconvenient. And it could be very inconvenient in these days. Travel, a lot of travel was done on foot, and if you lived far away from Jerusalem, I mean, this could be a few days' journey to get back. I mean, I mean, Jesus, can't we just 
finish the sacrifice and then, then take care of things? Jesus says, no, go back first. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now, why is this? Why, why is it so serious to God that the relationship be reconciled right away? I mean, why couldn't it wait a day or two? Well, because God is jealous for our allegiance, for our loyalty. And he's, he's jealous for our loyalty with, with a righteous jealousy. He deserves our worship. He deserves our best. And we dishonor him when we, when we don't worship him correctly. When we commit spiritual adultery with sin and then come and, and, and go through the motions of loving God. When, when in our hearts we're still holding on to something that God hates. And this was often God's indictment against Israel in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 29, God said of Israel, He says, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their heart is far from me. If our heart is not with God, if our heart is still captivated by, by love for sin and unwilling to give it up, then our worship to God is, is offensive. Often people treat God like the man who is, who is having an affair and his wife found out. And knowing he was discovered, instead of cutting the affair off and repenting of the sin, he, he simply tried appeasing her in different ways. So he wrote a romantic letter telling her how much he loved her, how special she was to him. He bought the two of them tickets for a Caribbean cruise. Maybe he bought her some new jewelry. But what was missing was true remorse over the sin. True repentance. There was no sincere apology. No sincere breaking off of the affair. His wife had his letter. She had her tickets to the Caribbean. She had the new jewelry. But she didn't have his loyalty. She didn't have his faithful love. She didn't have his heart. And so his words were empty, even nauseating. And his gifts were offensive. It was all empty and hypocritical an offensive sham because his heart was not in it. He was honoring her with his, with his words, loving her with his words, but his heart was far from her. But that's how many treat God. In Isaiah 1, God said of Israel that he, he hated their worship and their worship services to him. He, says, he said of, of Israel's worship, they have become a, a burden to me, I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. God was tired of, of Israel's worship, of their pretense of loving and honoring him, because all the while, they were still clinging to their illicit love affair with sin, and they were unwilling to give it up. 
but they thought they could appease God with their, with their words and their ceremony, giving a little more, showing up a little more, praying a little more. This is what Jesus is warning us to avoid here. If we really love him, we should worship him truly with all that we are. And this passage teaches us that we must, that this means we must swallow our pride and, and humble ourselves and be truly repentant when it comes to strained relationships. Which in our passage this morning, that means, means doing what's necessary to reconcile. Going to the offended brother, going to the offended sister, making things right. That's what repentance looks like here. It's not just a, a brief moment of inner regret and, and a quick apology to God in prayer. Repentance is a sincere heart change leading to a sincere and true life change. Here it, go, here it goes to the one you've, you've wronged or who thinks you've wronged them and it seeks to make things right. It does the hard work of peacemaking. The repentant heart is the heart so devoted to God that it's willing to get up and leave and inconvenience itself to make things right. Now some, some may seek reconciliation and it's, it just doesn't happen. But never let it be said that you, you didn't try, that you didn't seek it with everything that you had. Never let it be said that the, the other side wanted to make peace, wanted to heal the broken relationship, and was ready to work towards it, but you refused, you delayed. Until we've done what we can to make things right, we're wasting our time coming to church. We're wasting our time worshiping God and, and praying. God despises half-hearted worship that draws near to Him with, with our words while our heart is unwilling to obey Him when we walk out these doors. So don't come to the Lord's table and partake of the supper if you haven't made every effort to apologize and to, to make things right for, for hurts that you've caused another. If you've not made every effort to make peace. And if, if you are the offended party, maybe somebody else has done something to you and you're just having a hard time getting over it and you, there's, there's bitterness, there's resentment in your heart towards that person. Well, Jesus would say in Mark eleven twenty five, he says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your heavenly Father also may forgive your trespasses. So don't presume to enjoy peace with God while your hand still grips the sword of strife against another person is unwilling to set it down. Make peace without delay. Seek forgiveness without delay. Forgive without delay. Reconciliation must not wait. Even if it means getting up in the middle of this church service, walking out those doors to make things right with someone, to make a phone call, 
Now, perhaps, as I mentioned in the introduction, perhaps the relationship is just so broken that it, it will never be fully restored. That's, that's the sad reality in this world that we live in. Perhaps you are sure that the other person won't forgive you, even if you ask. But brother or sister in Christ, I would encourage you, it's still worth asking forgiveness, even if they won't forgive you. Such humble admitting of wrong, that honors God. It honors God. Now, a word of caution here. Some may use a strained relationship uh, as an excuse to, to stay away from church, to, to not come to, the, say, the Lord's Supper. And they may say, well, you know, if this is true, I'm just going to stop coming to church, you know, because I, I, can't, I can't work things out, and I'm not ready. So I'll just, I won't come to church for a while until I do, if what you're saying is true. Please don't do that. Matthew Henry helpfully observes that though we are unfitted for communion with God, he, he writes, by a continual quarrel with someone else, yet that can be no excuse for the omission or, or neglect of our duty. The, the text says, leave there thy gift before the altar. And Matthew Henry observes, lest otherwise, when you have gone away, you be tempted not to come again. There's the intention of coming back, making things right and coming back. So don't let the sin of, a, of an ongoing quarrel that you're unwilling to reconcile keep you away from God, keep you away from His people. Repent and return to the Lord with your whole heart. Two wrongs don't make a right. Jesus says to reconcile quickly. Elsewhere in, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's a familiar verse. Often it's given as, as marriage advice. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're angry with someone, this would teach us, don't let it fester. Don't let it simmer. Make things right that very day. Again, reconciliation must not wait. To put off reconciliation, to delay it, is disobedience. It's, it's to disobey God. And, and disobedience to God, that affects our relationship with God. If we persist in disobedience, even as Christians, as, as a loving Father, God loves us too much to allow us to continue in disobedience. And He'll, he'll discipline us. And that's not something we should just take lightly. So Christian, brother or sister in Christ, don't delay reconciliation. If we persist in disobedience, knowing that this displeases God, and yet we continue, and we, we're, we're unwilling, and we stubbornly resist His will, well, that may even reveal something far more serious. It may, it may reveal that there's not true love in our hearts for God in the first place. Jesus said if we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. And so the heart that stubbornly refuses to do the, the will of Christ, that says something pretty serious about our heart condition towards Him. Those who love Christ must prioritize reconciliation as He does. Seeing how important it is to Him, 
they won't put it off. Well, there it is. That's the spiritual reason why reconciliation must not wait. As long as we walk in anger, in a quarrel, in an unresolved conflict, and we haven't done whatever it takes to make peace and to right the relationship, to do our best as far as we're able, then our relationship with God is troubled. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So Christian, how does the gospel encourage us here? How, how does it encourage us to obedience? If, we, if we've come to Jesus and we've found forgiveness of our sins in him, then we ought to be willing to extend forgiveness to others. Even, even when they've hurt us. If we've come to Jesus and, and we're willing to confess our sin before him and admit our guilt, if we've understood that the, the God of the universe sees all our sins, he sees all our guilt, and yet he forgives us when we come to him and ask. Friend, I mean, what, what more important than to have God's forgiveness? And we can rejoice in his forgiveness and, you know, he sees our sins and he says, I love you and I forgive you. Yes, your guilt is great. But my love is greater. And Christ has died for your sins. Well, there's, there's both incredible uh, comfort in that and there's, there's that, that's humbling. It's incredibly humbling at the same time. That our sins were so bad that none less than the Son of God himself could have purchased our pardon, and it cost him his very life. That's how bad our sins were. And yet, yet it's comforting because of how loved we are in spite of how guilty we are. That he still went to the cross for us. Well, with this in mind, what is it to go before a fellow sinner and, and humble ourselves before them and ask their forgiveness? Would we fear the opinion of people more than the opinion of God? Listen, it's, it's what God thinks that matters most, that should matter most to us. We've got no reputation to keep up before God. He sees our hearts. He sees it in all, all of its ugliness, all of, it, all of our flaws. God sees through it all. The cross shows us our guilt, and it shows us God's love in spite of our guilt, all at the same time. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I would encourage you, reflect on the cross. Think about the reconciliation that we have with God through faith in Christ. And, and seeing what a beautiful thing that is, let that embolden us to go and seek reconciliation with others. And remember that God will help you. Don't think that you have to go at it alone. Believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you to help you to do His will. And what might be too hard for you to do in your natural strength is not too hard for God. So admit to God your weakness and step out in faith to obey, even where it seems impossible. Go in the strength that He provides. And this is also where the local church can be helpful. So Emmanuel Baptist, 
Listen, if, if you know that you need to make something right with someone, but maybe you're afraid, maybe you don't know how, well, ask someone for prayer. Ask someone for advice. Let us help you in this. Christian, you shouldn't be ashamed to, to ask a brother or sister in Christ for help. All of us have been in strained relationships before. We all need help at one time or another. So don't be ashamed to come and ask someone for help. If you, if you need advice or encouragement or prayer, do whatever it takes. Reconciliation must not wait. But there's another reason why reconciliation must not wait. Jesus gives some, some wisdom to us in verses 25 and 26 to help us avoid unnecessary trouble in this world. And this is our second point, which we won't spend as much time on. But point number two is the temporal reason why reconciliation must not wait. We want to avoid trouble with God. We want to avoid His, His, His discipline. But we also want to avoid unnecessary trouble in this world. Look again at, at verse 25. Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So the scenario here is, is two people, and they're, they're headed for a legal fight. They're headed to court. And in this scenario, you're the accused. Maybe you feel pretty good about your chances, and you're not, you're not going to concede anything. You're gonna, you feel like you've got a chance in court to, uh, to, to be justified. But what does Jesus say? Jesus encourages, come to terms, agree with your adversary quickly. Jesus, again, presses the urgency of reconciliation. Now, does this mean that we can never make a legal defense for ourselves in court? What if someone accuses you of something utterly ridiculous that you did not do? What if you've been framed or something? And besides, didn't Paul take, uh, make a lengthy defense in the second part of the book of Acts? And he even appealed to Caesar. Well, Paul was being accused of things he didn't do or say by the Jewish authorities who were attempting to, to silence him from preaching the gospel. It would have blurred the clarity of the gospel if Paul conceded that they were right. It would have been disobedience to God to come to their terms and stop proclaiming Christ. I don't think that Jesus is saying that there's never a time to make a defense in court. But we should do whatever we can to avoid unnecessary conflict. As, as long as we can do so without disobeying a, a clear command of God. We should be very slow to go to court. Jesus wants us to be eager for peace. Perhaps you think you can make a good defense, but maybe there's a chance that you'll lose. Maybe there's some risk that the, the court won't share your confidence. Once the process of law is set going, it's like a heavy stone that's, that's set rolling down a hill, and it's, it's hard to stop. Your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'd be put in prison. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
So the biblical principle that will help us honor God in such cases, a good rule to live by that the Bible teaches is that we ought to be merciful to those who owe us, but just to those whom we owe. As Matthew Henry puts it, though we must be merciful to those we have advantage against, yet we must be just to those who have advantage against us as far as we're able. Christians are to be eager to show mercy and to forgive offenses done against them. They're to be eager to make things right and repay any damage that we've done to another. As Romans 12.18 says, If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Christians, we do well to avoid conflict whenever possible, whenever we can do so, without disobeying God. We're wise to, to choose our battles carefully because we're ambassadors for Christ. We need to be careful about getting tied up in, in legal conflicts and, and fights that could be avoided with just a little compromise, a little coming to terms with another person, a little yielding. Jesus says, come to terms quickly. We must choose our battles wisely and never let it be said that our pride has kept us from coming to terms quickly and, and being eager for reconciliation. So there's the temporal reason why reconciliation must not wait. We want to avoid unnecessary trouble in this world because Christians, we've got work to do. But before we wrap this up, let's consider one last question. What if your accuser is God himself? What then? Friend, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, if you've not submitted your life to Christ as your Lord and, and trusted him as your only hope for eternal life, then it's, the Bible tells us it's God who has something against us. And, and what would God have against us? Well, God is our creator. He made us. And we owe our, both our existence to him and our obedience to him. He's the king of the universe, and he's our king, whether we recognize that or not. And yet mankind, starting with Adam and Eve and on down to us, each one of us in this room, we have all disobeyed God. We've all sinned and fallen short of what he requires of us. And so God has a just case against us because of our sin. And because God is the king of the universe, our disobedience to him, our rebellion against him, and trying to, to do our own thing and be our own king, well, that amounts to cosmic treason. That's a serious thing. God has a case against us. And if we go to court, God is going to win. And we will be condemned. But God being rich in mercy, so loving the world that had become so undeserving of his love, so loving us that are undeserving of his love, he sent his only son. And Jesus Christ, being fully God, took on a human body and entered this world and lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He lived the life we should have lived, but haven't. And he died the death that we deserved to die when he died on the cross. And as he suffered on the cross, he did so out of love so that anyone 
who repents of their sin and has faith in Christ, what He's done, well, they'll be saved. And they can know that they will approach Judgment Day with no more guilty record. The price will have been paid by Jesus. And Jesus, when He returns, He won't declare us guilty on the Day of Judgment, but He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And ultimately, it won't be because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did in the life He lived and the death He died. We, all of us, need His mercy. So I urge you, if you have not been reconciled to God, do so without delay. Let today be the day that you know that you have peace with God. No more condemnation to dread. You can face death with confidence, knowing that your charges have been dropped because Christ spilled His blood to pay for them for every sin and every failing. Today is the day of salvation. Reconciliation, especially reconciliation with God, must not wait. If you have any questions about that, please come and talk to me after the service or talk to a church member after the service. Today, you can know peace with God. Reconciliation is urgent. If we wish to avoid trouble in our relationship to God, we must not delay reconciliation. If we wish to avoid unnecessary trouble in this world, we must not delay reconciliation. May the God of peace help us to be at peace with Him as much as possible also with others, seeking forgiveness and forgiving for Christ's sake without delay. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. Help us to be reconciled to others. Help us, Lord. Show us how. Maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't know where to start, but they want to do the right thing. Lord, Help us to, to work together and help one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. Give us wisdom and give us help. Now as we go to observe the Lord's Supper, be with our time. In Jesus' name, amen.